Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So today we uh, wrap up our Fearless Life series in which we've been studying what Jesus' closest friend, John, uh, uh, writes near the end of his life in a letter we call First John uh, that was copied and it was sent out to the entire known church, the entire known church of the day. John's focus in the letter is to help us as Christians live with a confidence that we're truly following Jesus and truly on the right path in life. Now, I'm sure you probably already noticed through this study uh, of 1 John that we haven't gone through it verse by verse or even chapter by chapter like we do a lot of other biblical book studies that we've done. And there's a reason for that because uh, whereas Paul, which we've done some studies on him, is a very logical, orderly writer, John is just kind of all over the map. He just bounces around between different themes. And so what we've done is we've tried to focus on the themes of John, drawing both from this letter and often illustrating how his points in his letter actually originate in his experiences with Jesus that took place 50 or 60 years earlier. In fact, if you read 1 John and then you go back immediately to John's gospel and read from 13 through about 16, you will see all the same themes throughout both. He learned this stuff from Jesus. Today, we're going to grab one of the primary themes that leads us, I think, to a whole new way of looking at life and a whole new driving motivation and expectation for our lives. So the last couple weeks, and especially this weekend for me, have made me think about life and expectations and how much we can take for granted. I mean, every day I get up and I assume I'm going to be able to get around okay. I'm a safe driver, never really had a major accident. And and then you hear things like the Republican congressional train accident and the 100-car pile up in Missouri and the 70-car pile up in Iowa, and then we lose two of our finest police officers yesterday. And, and it, it's in those moments that I find myself realizing that I'm just way too easily frustrated. And I lose sight of how much I have to be grateful for in life. Like safety, like electricity. Assuming that I can open the fridge and it's going to be cold. I have to flip a switch and the lights are going to come on. I, I can get sick and I can go to the doctor. I get in trouble or, or, or something's going on. I can call the police and they'll be there to help. I think we take so much for granted. And I think as American Christians, one of the top of the, top of the list things that we take for granted is the Holy Spirit. The importance of the Holy Spirit is one of John's strongest themes in 1 John. A.W. Tozer, the great uh, devotional writer from last century, wrote, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what what we do would go on, and no one would know a difference. If the Holy Spirit had withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everyone would know the difference. Which I think along with what we're going to look at in John and Jesus' uh, sayings today uh, poses us a question for us all. Is the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit were to leave, would you even notice? Would you notice? See, I think we often treat the Holy Spirit like 
second cousin Luella who shows up at family reunions and we don't know quite what to do with her and then she just goes home, right? But the Holy Spirit is God's gift to us and we should notice if we're not living in his power. So again, the question I want you to answer and I'm wrestling with for myself as well is if the Holy Spirit were to leave, would you even notice? See, John talks about the, how absolutely vital and important the Holy Spirit in our lives. He talks about it in ten very direct ways in five short chapters and in many more ways that are clearly implied in 1 John. And in those statements, John puts front and center for all of us that knowing the Holy Spirit is the utmost, of the utmost importance and any step we take in life without the Holy Spirit is fruitless and powerless without lasting meaning. What does this dependence upon the Holy Spirit look like for us today? So John is writing to make it really clear where the power comes from, where our strength to grow, where our strength to do anything of lasting significance comes from. And I think one of the greatest strategies that could ever happen in the church is if, is if you become a Christian and you receive the Holy Spirit and then you live only vaguely aware of the Spirit's presence in your life, allowing this gift from God to go on a shelf or just get packed away in the closet instead of the gift of the Holy Spirit being unboxed and plugged in and constantly looked at and constantly explored in our lives. Now, before we look at 1 John, let's jump back into the Gospel of John chapter 14 to see what Jesus said that so impressed John to orient his entire life around the Holy Spirit. The context of this is Jesus is preparing his disciples for his impending death, which is going to happen in the next 18 hours. And ultimately, Jesus leaving and going back to heaven. And Jesus has been with them every single step of the way for the past three years. And now Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans in verse 18. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And then a few verses later, in verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I prayed that prayer a lot when I was taking tests in college. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So in the midst of Jesus talking about his impending betrayal, torture, death on the cross and leaving them, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Why? Because, he says, while I'm going away, I'm sending the Spirit to you. See, I think for most of us, and for me, many many thoughts in my life, that, that, that that doesn't seem like a fair trade. God in the flesh, physically following him. I mean, when the storm comes, he stands up. I see see him stand up and he calms the storm. When the people are hungry, he gets up and he feeds them. When when we have questions, we can just go ask him because he's, he's just right there. We can touch him. We can talk to him. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come and replace that presence for him, of him for us. And I think sometimes in our desire to be all about what we can tangibly see and hear and feel and prove and think that we think the Holy Spirit is the JV member of the Trinity. 
Even the way we talk about the Holy Spirit, I think, reveals a foundational problem for us. We say, what is he? Or we talk about the Holy Spirit as an it. Like it's some mysterious force that makes us all Jedi Knights. May the force be with you, right? He's not an energy or a force. John talks about him as a person. Paul shares about the Holy Spirit as one who can grieve and one who can love. And Hebrews says the Holy Spirit can be outraged. And an impersonal force can't feel those feelings. And see, that's important to you and I to think about the Holy Spirit not as an impersonal force. If you do, you'll go about relating to the Holy Spirit in a very different way than if you think about him as a person, a personal being. If you think of him impersonally, it'll be, it'll be much more mechanical in the way you relate to him. You'll relate to him a lot like a slot machine you know, or a, or a car where if you put a key in and, and you turn it on, you can manipulate the controls just right and you can safely travel wherever you want to go. Even some Christian teaching has the Holy Spirit almost more akin to an electrical charge. You, you do the right things, you make the right connections, you say the right words, and it comes, Right? But if the Holy Spirit is a person, you're being filled with and relating to a person. And Jesus, again, in John 14, describes the Holy Spirit this way. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, referring to the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Now, let's pay attention to that word another in that text. There is actually two Greek words that are translated another. One of them is the word heteros, which means another of a similar kind, something like something else. But, it, but it's not that same thing. And then there's alos, which means another of exactly the same kind. Which word do you think is used here? It's alos. The word used here is alas, not someone kind of like me, the, the JV version of me, pretty much the same, but really not quite. No, someone exactly like me, Jesus is saying. I will ask the Father and he will send exactly like me to you. So Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us about the Holy Spirit, don't be afraid. I'm leaving, but in essence, he's saying, I'm not really going anywhere. I'm coming to live within you by the Spirit even closer than I am now. The Holy Spirit is God. It's also referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. John 16 shows Jesus, uh, Jesus continuing to prepare his disciples for his departure, and he can see in their eyes what they're feeling and thinking in that moment of him talking about leaving. So in verse 7 of chapter 16, he goes further saying this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Better for you if I go away, Jesus says. He was the first Yoda. God with you is good. God in you is much better. How would that change you if you really believed God was in you and the Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus 
physical presence. See, but our, our natural gut response is, especially in times when you need answers in life, and life is hard, is we go, oh, I wish Jesus were here in the flesh right now so I could get the answer. But Jesus says, no. It's better. It's better this way. And you see, that thought forces us to face as followers some of the things that we don't like about faith and living a life of faith in God. That we're hesitant. It brings out our hesitant gut responses we have about how could I ever hear God? How could I ever know for sure what God wants? How could I ever understand the Holy Spirit and see the power of the Holy Spirit do healing and miracles even through my life toward other people? Those are uncomfortable thoughts for us. Many of you know what it's like to have someone you love die. Everything inside of you wants that person to stay, to be with you, to walk with you. So you... Picture John, his best friend Jesus, his mentor, his king is leaving. And Jesus gave the disciples wisdom and purpose and direction and miracles so numerous that John reflects back on Jesus' life and he writes, even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have to be written if you were to attempt to capture all the wisdom and the purpose and the meaning and the things that Jesus did. Yet, John would agree, and he does in 1 John, that Jesus was right. Jesus releasing him, him going away and receiving the Holy Spirit was better. It affects us in significant ways to know God is personal. And his spirit comes to live in us. So when I was young... If someone came to visit our home, like a guest speaker at our church or grandparents or really good friends we hadn't seen in a long time, it, it affected everything. We worked really hard to make the house clean and beautiful. Everyone put on their best behavior. It wasn't, we weren't a sham. It was just our best behavior. And our, and our schedule and our patterns changed. We would spend extra time with the special guests, listening and talking. And especially those who came with extra high regard, we hung on every word they had to say. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have your life transformed by the acute consciousness of the glorious person that lives permanently in the walls of your life. It actually reminds me of the man who had an affair, remarking that whenever he would bring his mistress to his home when his wife was gone, he would carefully take down any picture of his wife because the presence of his wife's picture would affect his behavior. Are you affected by the Holy Spirit's presence? Are there things you would or wouldn't do differently with the awareness of the Holy Spirit being with you always? So how do we get filled and be filled with the Holy Spirit? Acts 2 says this. When the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples, it says the people listening to Peter preach were cut to the heart. In other words, the Holy Spirit was actively convincing them. And they said, what do we do in response to this, Peter? And Peter's answer was, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. In other words, for everyone who repents of their sin and commits their life to following Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some, maybe many of us, certainly many in the American church, have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we don't know what to do with him. Maybe you were never taught what to do. Maybe you hung around people who were either making following the Holy Spirit look kind of weird or maybe even abusive using the Holy Spirit as kind of this right and wrong superiority trump card that is so inappropriate. And and maybe you came from a stream of Christianity that simply ignored the Holy Spirit. So you just never heard anything about him. See, it's like getting this fantastic gift that you have no idea what to do with and you're afraid to use it. Kind of like... The older guy who all of his life bought only the best, the best cars, the best tools, the best everything. So he goes to Best Buy to buy his own Christmas gift because that's what you do when you get older, right? And he buys the fastest and best computer money can buy and he goes home and plays solitaire and watches the news on it. Never discovering all the power he has in his lap, in the palm of his hands. See, all of us when we talk about that, probably have a face and a name that comes to mind. I'm not going to tell you mine because this is being live streamed. (laughs) Or it's like driving the Ferrari on the kiddie car ride at Disney where they've stuck a governor that won't allow it to go more than three miles an hour and you know they got that metal bumper that goes down in the middle of the road that your tires hit a butt so you can never go off the track. And instead of taking that Ferrari out on a racetrack or the flats of Nevada and taking that baby up to 150 miles an hour. I had a friend, George, who did that. He loved car shows on his way to Reno and he took it 140 miles an hour and he got pulled over in a brand new Viper. And he just looked at the cop and said, what else are you supposed to do with him? And the cop gave him a warning and sent him on his way. (laughs) If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not a question of whether you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The question is, if you know you've been given this gift, and what does it look like? The word for Holy Spirit is actually translated five or six different ways in different translations because it's a word that's too rich for one word to translate it. One translation calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. Uh, But this kind of makes the Holy Spirit sound like a quilting party, right? Other translations say counselor. But what kind of counselor? The Holy Spirit is not just a consultant to give you help, but just a few times when you're really in crisis throughout your life. The Greek word for Holy Spirit is parakleo. It's uh, sometimes also paraclete and paraklesis, a couple of different versions of it. Para means not to be in front or behind you, but to stand alongside you. And kleo means to declare or to argue. I think actually maybe the best translation for the Holy Spirit is the word advocate. This same word is actually used of Jesus by John in 1 John 2. Let's read that, where he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate 
with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What's going on here is we're getting this picture of Jesus in the courtroom of heaven where we stand rightly accused. And he's winning the argument for mercy and forgiveness and a second chance and our acquittal to be set free. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you in the Holy Spirit one who is exactly like me, a legal advocate, a person who will represent you and is absolutely loyal to you to the end. An advocate is for you in the strongest sense of the word. This is a person who argues for and makes a case for you against your enemies and accusers when you can't do it on your own, especially. Having a legal advocate, though, falls short, I think, because, because the Holy Spirit walks with you through all of life, every situation, every moment. So what does that mean? Well, I think it means the Holy Spirit defends you against your enemies and accusers outside of you and inside your own heart. I mean, the Holy Spirit can give you strength to not be afraid of people and circumstances. But I think a more common enemy is the one that resonates in your own heart. When our hearts are filled with doubts and with shame of our failure and confusion, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, there's no reason for doubts. I'm here to remove the shame and show you a way through this. And we see John explaining this in 1 John 3, in verse 20. He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So let's skip down to verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. How? By the Spirit whom he has given us. See, the Holy Spirit's job is to advocate for us. When we think we can't be good enough, when we messed up again, feeling like we have to earn our way back into good standing with God, the Holy Spirit argues with your heart and makes a case for you being secure and loved and forgiven until you start to receive that and receive the rest and the relaxation and peace that comes from that. See, when the Holy Spirit sees you giving your heart to money and power and approval and he knows it's going to destroy you because of the way you're doing it and he's going to be your advocate within your heart and your conscience saying to you, I'm not going to let you do this. Don't go this direction because he who began a good work in you, I'm the one who's going to complete it. Come, let's do what's healthy and good and best. And the Holy Spirit will relentlessly not let you go. Paul, in one of the most powerful purpose statements for the Holy Spirit, says this in Ephesians 3 and verse 16. He says, that according to the riches of his glory, you may be granted, he may grant, sorry, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. Isn't it true that so much of life we can know we're loved, but it takes a certain strength to really know we're loved? 
that he may have, that you may have the strength to comprehend it with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, the Holy Spirit gives each one of us the power to grasp the love of Christ. And when everything says you're not loved, to stay in that place of knowing you are loved. See, it's one thing to know this in your head, isn't it, that you're loved. It's a whole other level to have the Holy Spirit help you sense it in the moment. He makes truth come alive, vivid, and powerful to us. Maybe you call it power. Maybe, maybe it's called strength for you. Because when you struggle with the same sin for so long, with the same repeated failure, and, and you're so tired of losing that battle over and over again, and you come to church, and for you, all you hear is, do this and don't do this. Do this, don't do that. And you walk away from that just not feeling good. You need an advocate, the Holy Spirit, to challenge your heart to believe in his strength to overcome your own self and to help you stop failing and falling and hurting yourself and others. And you need the strength and wisdom to become something different than you are. I think another way we need the Holy Spirit power is, is when it comes to making decisions. We face really big, difficult decisions, and we tend to rationalize it. We tend to create our pro and our con columns, and we pro and con it to death. And, but, but what you really need is direction. You need someone greater than you who knows you better than you do, the situation better than you do, and the future better than you do to direct you. And some of you need power, but you relate more to the word comfort because you're facing or you're working your way through loss and whatever the new normal in the face of that loss is going to be. The empty chair, the empty place in the bed next to you, your heart is broken and you need the Holy Spirit whom Jesus calls the comforter to lead you into a good place. Bill Bright, a famous Christian from the last century, tells a story of Farmer Yates from the famous Yates Hills oil fields of Texas. Farmer Yates owned a sheep ranch in the Texas Hills during the Great Depression, and he was struggling to make ends meet, forced to rely on government subsidy and, and food for basic essentials, just wondering if they were going to make it from day to day. And then one day, Farmer Yates heard there may be oil, and he actually agreed to have a crew come out and drill a well. Well, at 1,015 feet, they struck it huge. In fact, one of the early wells set a world record that still holds today for 200,000 barrels a day of oil. Mr. Yates owned the land the whole time for several generations. It was there the whole time. He was a multimillionaire living in poverty. He had all the resources he needed. He was right there. See, this is an image of how we can live as Christians. The Holy Spirit is right there, but we don't know him. We don't focus on knowing the Spirit, and we're never, or we're never taught to do so. So we go through life, and we need joy, and it's right there. We need peace, and are overwhelmed, and it's it's right there. We need strength to follow down the path He's called us to go down, and it's right there. It's not a question of whether you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a question of whether you've grown 
to know and live in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer said most American churches, most American Christians would mi- wouldn't miss the Holy Spirit if he left. So that asks another question I think that's helpful to deal with. So what does a church, what does a faith look like without the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it looks for most of us, when it's without the Holy Spirit, like living from a self-righteous spirit. Any good we do, any holiness we have, any good morality we exhibit, well, that's just what you do. It's all, we take full credit for it, right? We put the focus on human effort. And yet Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, what he's saying is, are you kidding me? You can drive and you're choosing to walk? Why are you doing that? Are you so foolish to have this great power and not know him? The second thing a church or faith is like without the Holy Spirit is living susceptible to shame-ridden religion. You see, if it's all about you and me, if it's all about us, then the message of the church can only be heard as shame. What you fail in and where you still need to grow and do better. So you come to church and you read the Bible, you go to a small group and you walk away feeling beat up. Instead of stronger, you feel less than. Instead of bigger, you feel smaller. Some churches foster that kind of a message, but in many churches, people hear that message because it's your very own lens that you see faith through, everything through, this religious, self-righteous approach, trying to be good enough as the focus of what faith is all about in your life. Therefore, faith for you doesn't start in love. It doesn't involve God's loving initiation and his loving advocacy, letting you know you are forgiven, you are loved, even in that moment of failure. No, for you, religion and faith is about finding the motivation to be good and good enough. So any message of correction, any talk of sin and repentance leads to feelings of shame and condemnation for you, no matter how hard the church tries to communicate with compassion and grace. You can't talk about sin and face it with healthy guilt because all you feel is unhealthy shame. You can't be corrected and grow and allow healthy guilt to elicit a healthy, loved, secure response because all you feel is unhealthy shame. And that's not the church's fault often. It's your own misperception. It's how you interpret life and what you hear regarding what it really means to be a good person and to follow Jesus because you don't know the strong, firm, loving advocacy of a personal God in the Holy Spirit. And you are so focused on the power to change and be good enough in order to be loved coming from you, not the Holy Spirit. You see, shame-ridden religion has you believing that the power to change is on you and on your willpower, not the Holy Spirit's power. There's a third thing that church and faith is like without the Holy Spirit. It's living deceived by false teaching. Worldviews that are 
culturally popular but biblically inconsistent start to rise up in your faith and in the church. First Corinthians, 1 John 2.26, John's addressing that false teaching, saying, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And John is specifically addressing a belief system Jeremy briefly introduced last week called Gnosticism. It's a common heresy of that day, and frankly, it's also all too present in today's world. Without going into detail, Gnosticism is based on two false premises. One is dualism, where matter, where the physical body and the spirit are completely separate in the person. A Gnostic would say matter or the physical being is inherently weak and evil. The spirit is inherently good and strong. And so the bottom line is that you can do whatever you want to in this world with your body because it's already evil. So who cares? Don't worry about it. Your spirit is already fine. It's inherently good. So you're going to be fine. Just do whatever you want. Does that sound familiar? So many people take their spiritual life and say, now this is my spiritual life over here, but over here, I can do what I want. It's my choice, right? I'm fine. I still go to church. I'm still basically a decent person, and I still have good ideals, and so I'm fine. (laughs) Pardon me. Another false premise of Gnosticism is that you are saved through special enlightenment. So salvation comes through attaining a certain level of knowledge and education. Again, that should sound familiar to the themes that our culture trumpets as solutions to our social and cultural ills. Education is fantastic, needed, but it's not the solution. John goes on to speak of the Holy Spirit using the metaphor of anointing, saying in verse 27, but the anointing, the Holy Spirit, that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing, the Holy Spirit, teaches you about everything, it is true, it is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So John is pointing us back to this very personal relationship with God, knowing God, knowing his voice, knowing his presence, allowing awareness of his spirit to check us if something's wrong and to confirm in us if something is right. See, it's not a question of having received this gift. It's a question of do we know this gift of the Holy Spirit? When we come to know the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads us to take an entirely different perspective in life. And we live life when we know the Holy Spirit with an anticipation of overcoming. So, what does this symbol mean to you? Right, everybody sees it. See, when I see that, I see, I see green and yellow ducks. I also see the bucks. Because I'm an Ox fan, okay, I'm, okay. But this symbol is seen in, G, in 1 John as well. Uh, 1 John 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. So them actually refers back to the struggles and the trial, the evil, the temptations of our lives that John's been talking about. Then he goes on and says, For he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. That word overcome, it's the Greek word Nike, meaning conquer, victor, champion, overcomer as opposed to the self-righteous religious approach where overcoming is based on our effort and our willpower and our goodness, John is saying, you are an overcomer because the one who is in you is great. The Holy Spirit in you is great. And that's where your power to overcome comes from. 
The whole purpose of John's letter is to help each and every one of us live life more confident, with more expectation of overcoming rather than being overcome in life. And the soil of that kind of growth he's taught us is this, the security that we are loved by God first. We don't initiate it. We don't earn it. We receive his love. And God comes to you with all of who he is, his Holy Spirit, to be resident in our innermost being so that love isn't just an intangible idea, but a tangible presence. And therefore, we Nike, we conquer, we are victors, we overcome. That's our confidence. Because greater is the Holy Spirit in you than he who is in the world. Go ahead and come on up, worship team. So let's finish this series where we began. 1 John 4, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the presence, the greatness, the constant advocacy of the Holy Spirit on your behalf. And within all of that, it is the Holy Spirit making the love of God known to you. That's the reason you can know love, not just know about love. And that's the reason you can have no fear because it's very, very personal, this love of God through the Holy Spirit relating to you that drives out fear and replaces it with an expectation of overcoming, even especially in the face of difficulty, confusion, setbacks, unknown and injustice in life. If you're here today and you aren't sure about whether you're a follower of Jesus yet or you're not sure you've committed your way all the way into that, I don't leave today saying, I'll get my life cleaned up and then I'll accept this gift. No, whatever place you're at, wherever you're at in life, accept this gift and receive the power to help you grow and the love of the one who loves you even right now, whatever's going on in your life. Will you join me in standing and, and as we begin, let's just daily invite the Holy Spirit this week and just make stronger our habits throughout the day of inviting the Holy Spirit to lead you and help you become more aware of his presence in each moment. Let's, let's begin just now just with a little bit of prayer. And I want you to join me in this under your breath or as out loud as you want to and just, just invite the Holy Spirit to come. Lord, would you just come with your spirit that... that, that Spirit, you refer to with that word anointing. That's such a tangible word that we feel and we sense. Lord, would you come by your spirit and anoint us now? Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us, whatever fear we were facing today or thinking about, whatever anxiety, whatever, whatever decision that we don't know what to do with, whatever, whatever we're facing that's not full of your presence and your love right now, would you come to that place at this moment and let your presence be known. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We want a personal relationship with you. We want all that means. So would you come in Jesus' name. We're going to sing this next song, and I want to point out a couple of lyrics first. 
It's a song that we've done before, but there's this piece in it where it says, you have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. And it says in another place, there's no one who can stand against you. I want those words in your heart to sing this morning. Because I don't, I don't care what you've done in life. I don't care what you did this morning, what you did last night, what you did a week ago, how far you've fallen from where you think you should be. I don't care where you're at. That kind of no rival, no equal, forever with you, God, who nothing can stand against, loves you. He loves you. He accepts you. He wants you. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says in this world. It doesn't matter who hates you, who's against you. It doesn't matter because that person loves you. That person is advocating for you. Long before you ever cleaned up your life. And therefore, you can just be honest. Wherever you're at, you don't have to hide anything anymore. You can just be honest wherever you're at. Because you're already loved by that person. So let's worship and let those words stand out to you. I hope those words take on a new meaning because I just sense the Holy Spirit here and I pray that each and every one, the Holy Spirit is real. It's not just an idea. It's not just a mysterious force. He's somebody who advocates for you. He lives in you. He is with you. And he wants you to know him and operate in his power in ways that you can't even imagine now. We're going to start a new series next week. It's going to be called Altars. Altars in the Bible are a really interesting place. They're, they're, they're all over throughout the Bible. Usually they're these kind of turning point moments in life where God leads us to these definable decision points. And, and what are some of those to, to bring a really great life of following God? And sometimes we face those altars and we don't handle them well. We, 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 we fail and God brings us back to another one and gives us another chance to do that. But I encourage you to, to invite your friends. It's going to be a great series. Hope to see you next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.